0: I remember going home that night and crying so hard. All truth be told, I barely prayed at church. I never prayed at home. And I remember I had a knife and I went to bed with this knife under my pillow and, and I was going to kill myself. And, and and up until that point, I never thought about suicide. And I think it's it's like when you struggle with something in the closet or, or, or you're hidden from the world, you kind of think mockingly towards it. So I grew up in the church and I thought I had a relationship with God, but it wasn't until I actually met the Lord that I realized that what I was living was not really a true, authentic relationship. And it made sense to me because for the longest time, I feel like in my heart, I desire to have a relationship with the Lord. But I knew, well, I know now that I never actually heard from him because I wasn't really passionate and I did church out of obligation and out of something I thought I was supposed to do. So, when I was born, I was born premature about two and a half months, and it was out of an accident that I came to to life. So my mom was walking, and something had happened, and she ended up falling forward on her belly, and I was born two months premature, and I, and she was told that I had a very little chance to live. And because of this, so my mom was an immigrant from Korea. She was probably 24 at the time with now two children, no education, and a deadbeat husband. And her husband, who is my father, had nothing to do with my life. He didn't want to raise a retarded baby. He didn't want to have to pay medical bills. He didn't want to have to conform his life. So he had told her to either give me up or to let me die. And because she chose to, to fight for my life, I was born into a world with, a, with an immigrant mom with very little English, no father, no money. And, you know, for all I know, life was normal. You know, nothing happened in my life that I wasn't used to because this is all I knew. And from a very young age, I began to go to church every week. I grew up every Sunday going to children's church, singing the songs, listening to the Bible stories, watching Veggie Tales, being a part of this family that I thought was, this is how you do a Christian life. Because growing up in the American church, now it was a Korean church, but it was an American society. So growing up in the American church, I always thought as long as I went to church, as long as I read the Bible on Sunday, as long as I put my two dollars every week into the offering basket that's all i needed to do to confirm my salvation but as i grew up i grew up as a happy-go-lucky kid and nothing fazed me i was into video games i had my friends i liked to read books but it wasn't until i started to grow older i started to understand that other people knew more than i did they were experiencing things that I never knew of. They were starting to go out with their families and, and have their first moments or have this party or, or go to this function or go to this game. And all I knew was I go to school, I go home, I sit by myself. I had a brother, I have an older brother, but we weren't as close as typical brothers would be. So all I knew was I would go home and I would be by myself. And for so long, this was okay. You know, I would have my TV, I would have my video games, I would have my books, I would have my school. But when I began to start high school, I I began to realize that my interests were not really my interests anymore. I started to go to church a little less because for me, church was just something I had to do. And as I began to get more freedom for myself, I understood that I had the option to choose whether or not I wanted to go. And all I knew was on Sundays, I went to church. All I cared about was the football game on TV. I didn't hear the voice of God. The Bible didn't make sense to me, but still I went. I even served on the worship team and I knew, oh, wow, I'm so saved. I'm sanctified. I'm doing life correctly. But at the same time, I knew my thoughts, my mind, my actions, and my words do not line up with the spirit of God. Because what little I understood of the Bible didn't match up with my life. I remember at one point, my pastor had to bribe me into reading the book of John by offering an iPad or an iPod at the time to whoever could write down John chapter one in their notebook during the span of a week. And, and I know now that's very bad, but at the time I was like, cool, I want an iPod. So I did, the, uh, I did the task and grew very bored because these words just didn't mean anything to me. As I began to get older, I began to develop a very, very, very deep-seated depression because as I said, I grew up without a father. And for a time, I could live vicariously through the fathers of my friends. But as I began to become isolated and, and, and more to myself, and my mom was starting to work, and I would just be by myself, I understood that there was something missing from my life. I didn't have a male role model to teach me how to drive. I didn't have a male role model to teach me how to grow and become a man. So I had to learn what I know from TV or from movies or from books or even the things that I sought after on the internet. It all came to a halt as I began to write more. And I began to delve into poetry and to really understand my mind. And I was, I was coming to the end of my high school career, and I had to decide where I wanted to go to school. Now, all my friends, they were going to college. They, were, they had a career path. They had an inheritance. They had family to go to. And I was like, I don't even have a credit card to, to do an application. I don't know how to write a check. I don't have any cash. So I couldn't even apply to go to school. You know, I applied to go to a local community college, but I didn't have the money to go. There wasn't a scholarship available because if you don't have anyone pushing you to get grades, if you don't have anyone pushing you to succeed, you're going to do the bare minimum because you don't know any higher. And you would just become bitter at the people you see succeeding in life. You know when i realized that i came out of high school with a 2.2 gpa crippling depression no home no future and i'm being told because my mom no longer lived with me that i had to get out of my home and find a new place to live or become evicted at the age of 17. i had no idea what i was going to do so i began to write my poetry and i began to explore the depths of life and i remember very specifically it was Good Friday, 2011. This would have been April 24th, 2011. And I was writing a poem, and I still haven't. I was writing a poem to my dad, and it opened up, you know, what happened? What happened to this relationship? Is it my fault? Is my accident, is the accident the, the reason you decided to leave? And, and it began to sit in my mind. And I, I remember going to church that night, and the pastor began to preach just the message of the cross. And, and this is something I'd heard every year for the past 10 years. And something happened that night where it clicked, where the depression, and and like I said, I didn't even realize I was depressed in the moment, but I just knew by my thoughts now, I know my thoughts were leading to it. I just kind of masked it. Something happened in that night where it came boiling over. So my thoughts about the cross, had met my depression and when I when I got hit with conviction, I thought it was my overwhelming sense of of sadness and morality that was causing me to feel these things. Because I, I was suffering in this state of anxiety where it felt like my own voice was screaming in my ear. What were you hearing? It was just loud, like like think of like a steam engine. Just loud, like you can't even comprehend what you're trying to think. Hmm. And I remember going home that night and crying so hard. And all truth be told, I barely prayed at church. I never prayed at home. And I remember I had a knife and I went to bed with this knife under my pillow and and I was going to kill myself. And, And up until that point, I never thought about suicide. And I think it's, it's like when you struggle with something in the closet or, or, or you're hidden from the world, you kind of think mockingly towards it. Because I used to think so negatively about people who were sad and depressed. Like, what are you sad about? Get over it. You're fine. What are you gonna kill yourself for? But I remember I, I said for the first time, God, if you're real, can you save my life? The next thing you know, I was awake. It was the next day. I didn't even remember this event happening until a few weeks later. And I just carried on with my life. It was Saturday now. And at the time, I had begun to go to a high school ministry. You know, out of my school, there was a um, an FCA club, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I would start to go. And I remember I got invited to a meeting that was held to plan a future event. There was going to be kind of like a prom alternative being held, um, and I, I went to this meeting and people started sharing their testimonies for no reason. It was just at the end of this meeting, we're all in high school, someone's sharing, uh, um, you know, um, a female was sharing about how she narrowly escaped being assaulted. Um, A guy was sharing about how he had gotten a speeding ticket and how the Lord had convicted him. And I felt this tug in my heart, share what happened to you. And at first I was a little confused because I was still sitting in my depression to the extent where I didn't want to make new friends. I didn't want to branch myself out there. I didn't even want to ask for help. I was so stubborn. I was like, I'm going to just figure this out on my own. And I remember sitting in this meeting and the Lord said, share what happened to you. And I began to speak, you know, for my whole life, I've been alone. I've been lonely. I haven't had real friends that I could trust. And and I go out of my way to accommodate the needs of other people because I don't want to face my own realities. And I started to say things that I didn't even think about before. You know, I I wish I had a dad. You know, I'm not okay. And bear in mind everyone else in this room is was about my age. And what had happened was they didn't have the words to say to me because of their lack of experience, but one person did offer to pray for me. And I remember they started to pray for me, and I grew up in a, a Presbyterian church where, no, where if one person was praying, no one else said a word. They didn't believe in the laying on of hands, and all prayers were always brought in general. And I remember the second someone touched me, I could feel something coming over me which I now understand to be the Holy Spirit. And one person had a guitar, they started singing the song, Let It Rain. And I just remember crying so bitterly. I didn't even understand in the moment that it was the process of my salvation. It wasn't until a few months later that I understood that this was the Lord beginning to move in my heart. And and I'm not to say that I got delivered from my depression, but I had gotten to a point where now I had access to something greater. Now I had access to a community, and now I had access to the Holy Spirit. And I, and I know for, for about two years, as I'd started to do ministry, I still struggled with this depression. And, and it bothered me even more because I started to cut things out of my life, and I started to do the things that I knew I had to do to be a son of God. But when I went home at night, I still struggled by myself. I didn't know how to be alone. I didn't know how to see things happen and not be a part of it. You know, I was involved in a community, but the second those individuals went to school, I broke over a weekend because I didn't know how to have a relationship with God because I was trying to pursue him as my father in heaven without ever knowing what it was to have a father on earth. And this caused me to develop a self-hatred along with my depression, because here I am not only sad about my situation, but now I'm upset about my response to my situation. So my prayer was never for deliverance or for peace, but it was always for resolution and to get something that I didn't have. So instead of choosing to trust in what God wanted to do, I was asking him to do something else. It wasn't until about two years later. So this, that the day I received the Spirit was May 5th, 2011. So it was a few weeks after I had that encounter in my room. And a couple years later, I would find myself in the midst of ministry, and we would have periodic worship nights and Bible studies. And I would be in the midst of worshiping God. But in the back of my mind, I heard, go put your head through that window go go out into the street in the middle of the night and it was like these pervading thoughts so what depression does is it it feeds upon itself right i think there's a misconception that depression is a state of constant sadness but it's it really is a mental thing where if if i was happy i i wouldn't say i was bipolar but i was definitely borderline expressions of it because i would be i was a person who was known as having extremely high highs and then all of a sudden i could flip like i could be in the midst of conversation and next thing you know i was in the corner by myself you know sad and and broken and there would be these bouts of we would have a prayer meeting we would have a service we would have a worship night and all i wanted to do was sit in the corner for about 30 45 minutes by myself And I remember very vividly, like the whole group would go upstairs from the basement to go fellowship, eat, commune, and I would sit in the corner of the basement, just sad, crying, no thought, staring at the ground. And I was always known as this person who would kind of do that. And it it culminated in June of 2013 where I figured I finally had enough. I was at this worship night. And, you know, this voice in my head saying, go break the window with your head, go kill yourself. And and truth be told, I had these thoughts every now and then, kill yourself now. Or wouldn't that, don't you wish you would have done it? And I knew it wasn't the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know about deliverance, but I knew that something had to be done. So through the help of a friend's mom, I got checked into Shady Grove Hospital in Maryland. And I told them, look, I'm depressed, I'm suicidal, I need help. And I was sitting in this hospital room. And I remember they took everything from me. My, my phone, couldn't have anything that could hurt yourself with. And I remember sitting there, I had a book and it was Mike Bickle's book, After God's Heart. And I was, it was it's very funny that as I was in this state, I had already started a campus ministry. I was a leader in a ministry. I was doing administration. I was a church leader at some point, I was a worship leader, I was studying, I was teaching. And here I am in this hospital room with my book, with my notes, trying to battle my depression on one side of the room and trying to learn more about God on the other. And and something clicked was like, stop doing what you're doing and think about the situation. And It just occurred to me in that moment, like, how can I keep trying to pursue the Lord healthily while ignoring all of these issues? And I remember turning on the TV and I flipped to the 700 Club, right? Because I was like, okay, Christian programming. And Misty Edwards of IHOP was on the TV telling her testimony. So if you've noticed a theme, testimonies have kind of shaped different seasons of my life. Mm. And she's talking about when she was younger, she had cancer, and she trusted the Lord, and she got healed, and she got cancer again, and then she got healed. And something started to wash over my spirit. And I started to, to look at the Lord and say, God, I trust you. I believe in you. And I just began to talk to him. And I believe truly in that hospital room, I got set free from so many things that were plaguing my spirit to the point where I asked him if I could just go home. I was like, you know, I think I'm okay, but I'm sure they hear that a lot from people who are going through mental illness and don't want to go to where they need to go. So they're like, you know what? You need to go checked into this facility. I remember going to this facility. They sent me to the Psychiatric Institute of Washington in the middle of D.C. It's the number one at the time mental health clinic in the city. And this was not where I belonged. I was a 20-year-old person doing ministry, just loving the Lord. And I'm getting stuck with people who were in gangs, got caught selling drugs. One of them got beat in the middle of the night for, for racism. So I'm in this facility, and I'm saying to the Lord, I remember just crying so hard the first night I was there, saying, God, why am I here? What happened to lead me here? why did i put myself in this situation and all of a sudden i began to think of joseph what he said to his brothers you did you thought you were sending me here to kill me but the lord sent me here for a purpose so i heard the voice of god not audibly but very clear in my mind saying to me you did not put yourself in the situation you put yourself in the hospital and i set you free you're here for a purpose and i remember I spent the full first day so sad and sorry for myself. And after that, the Lord started to use me even to speak into the, to the lives of the people in that, in that hospital. I remember praying for people. I gave my study Bible away. I prayed for my roommate at the time and he got healed. And I found out on my way out that he told everybody I was a wizard because of the way he felt after I prayed. And, and what I started to learn through this situation was that the Lord loves us regardless of the condition we come to Him in. And he doesn't even put a timeline on our healing and deliverance. Because if the Lord would have put me in a place of ultimatum of, of, you know, you need to behave, you need to act right, you need to think right, you need to stop feeling the way you're feeling. But what I discovered was it was okay to be depressed, because through that process, I learned that the Lord continued to love me. And, and I remember just coming out of that place with almost a new lease on life. Because when I went into that place, I would wake up, go to work at 4 a.m., get off at noon, go to ministry, pray at night, get out of prayer at 2, go back to work, sleep every other day not have any time to myself. And I was beginning to burn myself out. And I believe that that place of burnout is really what contributed to my state. My anxiety came back. You know, I thought the world was against me. If anyone ever said no, I felt rejected. And the Lord began to tear those layers away from me. And I truly believe it's those seasons of pain, those seasons of heartbreak, those seasons of destitution that caused a foundation to be built, and, and 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 you you read in the Word of God, and it says that in the moment discipline never feels good, but I understood truly in my heart that if it wasn't for those seasons, I wouldn't nearly I wouldn't be nearly what I am today. Now, now, Philip, you you did mention that uh, your relationship with your father affected you uh, very deeply. Um, where is that relationship today? So truth be told, I had this deep, bitter hatred for him for the longest time. And I think anyone in my situation, that would be understandable. But over time, as I began to deal with my heart and deal with my my salvation and mature in Christ, right? Because we know that the Lord will always want to build us up before he starts to deal with the individual problems. I decided that if I was going to forgive him, I would have to meet him. Right, we hear stories of people that meet their parents for the first time, and it's like the bitterness and the pain just melts away. So, in December, I want to say 2014, I, I found this website where you can pay money and pretty much track anyone down. And it's very bad. I would not recommend looking for this kind of service. But through his name, I was able to track down not only where he lived but his history, his phone number, all this information. And I ended up calling him. This would have been maybe Christmas, the day after Christmas in 2014. And I remember just talking to him for the first time and just saying, hey, this is your son. And, and And immediately the spirit said, do not accuse him. Do not become angry with him just make introduction. And I started to speak with him very briefly. We would share text messages. And in my heart, I made the decision that I was gonna try to find him and visit him. And leading up to this point, I'll say that the reason this was becoming so urgent for me is because dealing with him still hurt my heart very much. Because all of my friends, full families, father in the house, mother in the house, purpose. And for me, I was renting a room. I didn't know where I was going. I was working 65, 70 hours a week. I dropped out of school. And I decided if I'm going to heal from this, I'm going to need to find him. So it wasn't until that time that I actually located him. And and I never worked up the courage to ask him any questions about myself. It was more like, how are you doing? We never got past that point. So in January of 2015, I remember receiving a call while at work, and I believe this would have been, like, towards the end of the month, and I got a call and saying, hey, your dad killed himself. They found him hung on January 10th, so this was a few days before, and I remember in the moment, I felt nothing. I remember going back to my friend's house where I lived at the time and just saying, hey... I, and they, they all knew my story. I said, Hey, my, I just found out that my dad killed himself and immediately everybody's in a panic. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on? I'm like, I'm just good. Just carry on. Just letting, you know, and it almost scares me right now to say that it was such a numb feeling, but, but I know that I had cried so many tears. I felt so many emotions. Remember at this point, I'm 21 years old. And I remember I went to church the next day, and I think someone had told the pastor at the time what had happened. And people start to come over to me offering condolences, and still I I almost feel nothing. But as we began to worship, something started to come over me, and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm never gonna be able to resolve this. I'll never get to tell him how I felt. I'll never get to say this. I'll never get to do that. And all of a sudden, this weight of sorrow, this weight of bitterness, almost like a whale, almost like a crushing rock fell on me. And I remember sitting down and the strongest and most powerful moment of ache came over me. And it felt exactly like how I felt in the darkest moments of my depression before Christ. It's almost like a pain in your chest it's almost like a pain in the front of your head not even like a headache but it just it just hurts and I remember I cried for so long in that in that seat and people are coming over to me and like I didn't want to hear nothing I didn't want to say anything and and it was just for for weeks at a time I would be okay and then all of a sudden it would just descend on me I'd be fine and then I would break And even like a year to the day was one of the hardest days because I'm not thinking about the fact that he died. I'm not thinking about the fact that he killed himself. I'm not thinking about the fact that I lost my dad. I'm thinking about I never got to have this thing, and now I'll never get to have this thing. When it's abstract and when there is hope, you you can never break because there's always something to achieve. But when you know that this thing was here and it just got taken away from you – it's like a it's like a swift kick in the face. Right? I just remember how broken I felt. And even in the midst of my sadness and in the midst of this brokenness, the Lord was still speaking. Right? Because if we look at the word and it says that when Elijah was on the mountain, the voice of God came through a still, small voice. Elijah looked for him in the fire. He looked for him in the wind. He looked for him in the lightning. But it wasn't until he quieted his soul and listened to the whisper of the wind that the Lord began to speak over him, the, the, the life and the love that he had for him. So God was saying to me, you're still crying over this thing because you haven't asked me for peace. Right. And, and he almost almost as if to say, if I were to ask him for a peace from the first day, it would have been available to me. And I sat on the edge of my bed and I remember praying, Father, give me peace. Give me rest. And I don't know, I can even feel it coming into this room now. But for the first time, I began to take God at his word. G- give me rest. Give me peace. And it's like every thought that I had began to become silent over me. And I could almost feel a physical release of the things that were bothering me, the things that hurt me, the thoughts that I was having. It's almost like a tangible release. And and I can honestly say that ever since those times, I haven't had that type of sorrow. I haven't had that type of brokenness. I haven't had that type of relationship with the Lord where I would serve Him, get burnt out, and disappear from the church, show back up repent, serve him, get burnt out, leave the church. Because that was my pattern. I was that guy that started something, got excited and didn't finish. Had an idea, got discouraged and bowed out. But then the Lord began to break the cycles of my life that were caused by those early things the things of my of my childhood stemming from the accident of my birth that caused me to lose my confidence the 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 speech impediments the the learning disabilities that he never exposed me to because when i was born as i said i was not supposed to live but the but god healed me years before i ever knew about him and, and he began to say these things to me the devil tried to kill you but I delivered you from that, I healed you from that, I saved you from that. So therefore, because I did it before, I'm gonna heal you through this. Because I did it before, I'm gonna set you free from this. And, and and through that process of understanding who God was, I was able to understand who I was to him, and that allowed me to, to change the trajectory of my mind, to change the trajectory of my future, simply because I chose to believe him at his word. Mm. How's your uh, relationship with your, with your mother? It's actually good. You know, we were estranged for a while. We've had our ups and downs. Um, so what I didn't say was she was physically abusive as I grew up. And I grew up with a fear of her. Not like a healthy fear, but a tangible fear. And I remember she apologized about 10 years ago for the way she brought me and my brother up. I remember there'd be times where it's like, if you cry, you better call your school and tell them you're not going to make it in today. And what it was revealed to me in the spirit was that was a manifestation of helplessness, of fear, of grief. And once I was able to really love the Lord, it gave me a deeper appreciation for not just who she was, but what she went through. Because I think as a kid, I was never really able to grasp her story. Hmm. I think now our our relationship isn't where I want it to be, but I think it's in a very healthy place. Yeah. Philip up to this point in your life, who is Jesus to you? I'd say Jesus to me is literally everything. Even from the moment I got saved, even through everything that happened, there there was a difference in my mind. Whereas before I would barely ever think about Jesus. It'd be like, oh, it's almost Sunday. It's almost time to go to church. Even at church, I'm not thinking about Jesus. But now it's like every day when I wake up, whatever I'm doing, even when I choose not to obey him, he's still on my mind. And and this acknowledgement to whereas I can trust him. He is my savior. He is my father. He is my friend. He is my comforter. He is my shepherd. He is my deliverer. All of these things we say, I've had to learn what they mean one thing at a time. And I would say without Him, you know, we, we like to say without God, where would I be? Without Jesus, where would I be? But literally without Jesus, I would have chosen to end my life at the age of 17. Mm-hmm. And and with that in mind, I try to remind myself every now and then when I'm annoyed, when I'm frustrated, when I'm inconvenienced, that He chose to save me for a purpose. And it's that with that in mind that I really know that he is everything. Yeah. What can you say to, to those who are watching right now that um, haven't met their fathers or who are fatherless and maybe are feeling that despair or haven't really tapped into the, that hurt? What, what can you say to, to those sons and daughters watching? I'd say that it's, it's okay to hurt. I think it's very healthy to express your pain and your heartbreak because the world will tell us to get over it. The world will tell you and show you that fatherlessness is a very real thing. Unfortunately, especially in the African-American community, it's almost become a stereotype, but that's caused the overall society to ignore the issue because they're starting to marginalize fatherlessness and starting to attribute certain attributes to it, but what I learned is fatherlessness and the effects of it can come in many shapes and sizes, right? There might never be a physical manifestation, but you can still be crushed inside. And, And it's not something that'll heal overnight. So as long as you can be vulnerable before the Lord and trust the processes that he takes you through, then you can really start on your path of healing. And it's okay if you fall back into your pain. If you become sad, if you become broken, if you decide you don't want to talk to anyone, that doesn't mean you've regressed. That doesn't mean you've fallen. That doesn't mean you failed. But if you trust the Lord, He will show you what it looks like and what it feels like to say that I have my Father in heaven. Any last words for the people who are watching your testimony right now? Last words. I'd say I just hope you were blessed by this. My prayer and my desire is that you would take my words and apply them to your story because no testimony is greater than or less than another testimony. And I know as you continue, and especially for you who don't know how to embrace their story, who don't know how to articulate or share what they've been through, I'd say just begin to write down and think about the things that the Lord has done for you and how to trust him and how to express because the word says that they overcame with the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony so part of your story and the fact that you're alive to watch this the fact that you're here listening to me means that you have not failed and you have the power and you have the 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 authority to overcome with the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony